You're listening to the Edumundo podcast, where we talk about all things to do with experiential learning, educational technology, and gamification. In this podcast, we'll discuss themes in higher education, techniques to engage your students, and utilize unique assessment approaches, and everything in between. Hello, it's George Sekoulis here, and I'm going to be talking today about safe learning environments in higher education. I want to stress the higher education part here, but there's applications that go beyond that. We want, as educators, to be able to uh, assess our students. It's part of the package. So. How do we create these experiential, engaging learning environments in a safe way that enables us also to continue to assess them in a fair way? And I think back to the uh, teaching standards when I was qualifying to become a teacher here in the UK. There's a very rigorous process that some of you might be familiar with. That includes the uh, seven teaching standards and, and a part two to it as well. And part two in teaching standard number one, talk about establishing a safe and stimulating environment. And that entails creating an environment for, for pupils or students that are rooted in mutual respect and that the environment sets goals that stretch and challenge pupils of all backgrounds, abilities, and dispositions and demonstrate as an educator uh, consistently edu- uh, to consistently demonstrate the positive attitudes values and behavior which is expected of your pupils to in a sense practice what you preach and that all falls under the teaching standard one of establishing a safe and stimulating environment uh, what a safe environment means and i suppose what a stimulating environment means as well it varies across different stages of education in uh, primary or lower school, secondary school or high school and sixth form colleges, universities at undergraduate degree, master's degree, mature students. It all kind of means different things. The neurology of how we learn, what constitutes a, a stimulating environment, pedagogically speaking, is the same because we all have human brains, but um, the context of that kind of changes and and every age group or demographics definition of fun might vary slightly. So there is, these things are kind of always in flux and why teachers, why there is this human element of being a effective teacher and an effective educator. In this podcast, I'm going to be uh, commenting on some clips. I'm going to be dropping in some clips from uh, a webinar that we did with, uh, well, about a year and a half ago with uh, Dr. Keith Halcrow from the Glasgow Caledonian University, a senior lecturer, and um, Alessandro Ferraza um, from the University of Sutherland, both lecturers, uh, professors, academics in. 
business and business related subjects. And they are both at the time of, of recording the podcast, they were both using the same, uh, sorry, the of recording the webinar. They were both using uh, the same business simulation from Edgemondo, but these are two academics with very different backgrounds and, and different um, teaching environments because they have different students and different universities. So I'm going to be weaving in um, different comments from them during those webinars, which during that webinar, which was about experiential learning. I, I should sort of um, flag up that actually my first degree was history, and that was very didactic. Um, and I certainly find from my experiences, it, whilst my lecturers were good, it didn't really engage the students. Um, so I was slightly swayed to this idea already of um, trying to build in this you know, the students' own experiences to their learning processes and success. As I said a few minutes ago, we're a post-92 university. For those of you outside the UK, um, post-92s are what used to be called polytechnics, very heavily vocationally orientated. And the type of student that we recruit at Glasgow Caledonian is um, they are working either currently part-time or have been working. And therefore, for them, to be able to apply learning tools that can draw on their own um, experiences is absolutely invaluable in helping them understand deeper theoretical concepts. And the feedback we get from students is, ah, I now understand how theory and practice interrelate. Before we were tending to be taught simply at by the lecturer, and that doesn't really help us to understand why we're learning. And as we, if we look at this idea of lifelong learning, uh, as students will continue to learn through the next 50, 60 plus years of their experience, of their life, it is important that we constantly try to root um, theoretical knowledge, I believe, within the paradigm of the individual's experiences. Our job as lecturers, in a sense, is as facilitators trying to help the students make that connection. Because once the student makes that connection, the learning is much deeper. And they can then start to transport that knowledge to other settings. Dr. Halcrow there on his uh, experience and uh, his take on the social sciences. My take on it is, that you, when you're teaching something, you're also it's, it's assessing. That's how you know if you've actually learned and if you've made any kind of progress. So there's like an assessment spectrum depending on what it is that you're teaching and or learning, which for me uh, has sort of I'd use two examples art on the one extreme and math on the other extreme, one being assessed almost entirely subjectively uh, being the art and the other being assessed uh, entirely objectively being the math. And then social sciences fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. And history is one example, business economics, psychology, all are assessed uh, 
a little subjectively, a little objectively, and we try to be as fair as possible by using the uh, the four pillars of recall of knowledge, uh, application of said knowledge, uh, then analyzing with the knowledge that you've applied uh, in order to arrive at some sort of conclusions or uh, an evaluation of a, a decision that has been made or a behavior or an event, be it uh, history, psychology, or or economics or business. And when we're talking about business, it's the decision of a, a business owner or a manager and how they've measured that, the outcome of that and how they react, right? So planning and execution is an iterative process, et cetera, et cetera. The yeah, modern style of, of, uh, of teaching is, uh, is re- literally introducing flipped classrooms and, and much more of a um, problem solving and peer learning, which is very much based on, uh, on personal experience. And therefore, this um, uh, gamification does help uh, incredibly in in developing that in the students. Um, I find per- personally that the use of this uh, these products not only helps the uh, the lecturer in uh, in 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 facilitating the uh, delivery of the theoretical elements of uh, of the uh, module, but also um, is for the students to put it put that into practice and uh, and how. Applying that theory to practice actually does create changes, and and those changes interact with the other teams, and the other teams actually have to amend those strategies and 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 that that they have learned in the in the lessons. So it makes the whole learning process very active, and uh, and the feedback that I've had from students is is amazing, really. Alessandro Ferraza there. Um, peer-to-peer learning and I think what peer-to-peer learning as an element in the learning environment the classroom adds is uh, a more social analysis and evaluation component to add to the knowledge acquisition which is a very personal and internal process you know you personally have to recall the knowledge and you are attempting to apply it and then analyzing with a peer and uh, evaluation can happen individually or as part of a group as well. And I think that's a big contributing factor to uh, experiential learning environments. And we are also, you know, very social creatures. So how that is facilitated falls under the responsibility of the educator, the facilitator of creating a safe learning environment. For higher educators, what's starting to emerge here is a requirement, so to speak, uh, of the job that is creating an environment where everybody feels safe enough to participate in a more social and interactive form of learning. Working uh, for or against that, depending on how it's facilitated, is the uh, the 
the core, the, the major requirement of uh, an educator, which is to also provide assessment um, of the learning and uh, assessment of uh, for the learning, uh, how the students are performing. Um, so I think of it as a, uh, a map of assessment where you have summative assessment on one extreme, uh, very rigid, let's say, test condition, multiple choice test. And then on the other extreme, you have a more formative assessment, which is a observation of a, a group of students, let's say, interacting with each other over a uh, some sort of group task. And then there's different types of assessment. I guess I would I would argue that you could kind of place somewhere on that axis against another axis, the vertical one, where you have high stakes and low stakes, which is given the assessment, what are you going to use the outcome of that assessment for as an educator, as a facilitator? Are you going to use that to give them their final grade for the module? Or is it just going to inform uh, how you're going to um, engage with them in the next round, in the next lesson? That is th pitching the higher to lower stakes of assessment. And that is another part of the individual that is another adaptive part of your teaching that you have to ad uh, adapt to on a cohort by cohort module by module uh, or even case by case basis if we really want to get offer individualized uh, teaching and learning experiences in this next clip uh, dr halcro is going to um, talk a little bit about his experiences and make reference to an interesting piece of research that i'm going to touch on later let's listen in yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, if you look at work by Lave and Wenger, there's a, there's a lot about this idea of community practice, particularly for people that have been engaged or are currently working. I use it a lot with uh, professional doctorate students, but I would argue it, it resonates for anyone in higher education and, and can actually work down into the colleges as well, and maybe even in six years of school. The advocates of the Flip Classroom has suggested that this will encourage more engagement and ultimately lead to greater ownership of the individual's own learning. And if you feel you've got ownership of your learning, you will tend to do a better job at it. So it, there is certainly the last 12, 18 months has encouraged this idea of using um, the time that we have with students to try and, and get them to engage in higher level competencies and encouraging the student instead to focus on pre-reading so that when they come into the, the computer simulation classes, they can demonstrate that knowledge and they can therefore constructively question the tutor what is going on and why it's going on, both in order to demonstrate their understanding, but also to help illustrate to the tutor gaps in their knowledge. Dr. Halcro is referring to uh, research by Lave and Wegner into communities of practice, where they make the argument that to create a community, uh, a learning community, so to speak, you have to have a three, three, three elements: shared domain, which means that the the participants or the population, if you will, of this community have a shared domain of interest. Um, and that the, they are sharing this domain to interact and engage with shared activities as part of a community to help each other out, share information, 
Um, and then that over time, they develop a, a shared repertoire of resources through practice. Um, that includes stories, uh, ways that they handle typical problems. And this kind of interaction uh, needs, to be, needs to be developed over time when they're calling that practice. So shared domains, community, practice, the three elements of kind of creating a safe and engaging uh, and stimulating learning environment that is very human way of learning because of this, because we are community creatures, we're, we're social creatures. In this next clip, uh, Alessandro is going to, I think, really highlight this point of how in, in the case of the business simulations that are being used here, the, the game itself becomes this virtual world with, uh, becomes a shared domain. And within it, you have the, the groups uh, competing with each other in this virtual marketplace. And that fosters sort of a, 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 a kind of community element within them. And then round by round, as they execute, as they, as they work their way through the game, they're, they're practicing and developing a shared repertoire of resources. Ideally, those resources are uh, underpinned by the theory that is being taught. And even better if that uh, their skill with that repertoire is being captured in some sort of forms of assessment. It was only uh, last week uh, in one of my uh, uh, last lectures before the uh, summer recess that uh, one of the students um, asked me during the uh, during the lecture, well, would you want me to, uh, I'm a uh, HR manager in one of my, uh, uh, in my current role, um, can I take some of the um, uh, some of the uh, uh, delivery of the lecture for for the next week? So we organised that, and uh, and that created a new, a completely new um, uh, level of learning for the students because they were learning from someone who is a peer to them, but also a professional in their field, um, and, and and that created a whole host of conversations and discussions. Uh, beyond that, which was uh, great to see, and uh, but also it was um, a new uh, a new experience for the students themselves, and um, it worked really really well. And I think you know that is going to be the future. I mean, I find it quite uh, quite enlightening, but also easier for me with uh, postgraduates because most of my uh, my students are professionals in business. So in, in their fields, they can uh, bring that experience into the classroom. And that is, is inev inevitably a very, very valuable tool. Sometimes they, uh, I get them to uh, also do a publicity uh, stunt for their organizations. And um, one, uh, one team in particular actually involved the whole of their family. And uh, they created a film. Uh, they've uploaded the film, and uh, they—they, they, it was amazing to see how engaged they become uh, as students, even though it's it's all done online. Um, and so, you know, by doing that, I create them, uh, I, I create that rivalry between the uh, the teams that keeps them fueled throughout the uh, throughout the module. I do have some of the uh, uh, the games being played at weekends, 
And I know that, you know, we say that, you know, we lecture from Monday to Friday and blah, blah, but I actually log in on at weekends and, uh, and do help the students. I mean, not, not everybody does it, don't have to do it, but uh, to see that I'm involved with them and, uh, and that gives them additional inspiration uh, to, uh, to complete that, uh, that module uh, in a more successful manner. And through this, with the support of the game, I have noticed that um, comparing it to uh, past um, past um, uh, you know outcomes of the uh, of this module, the uh, not only the uh, uh, submission has been has increased, but also the uh, the uh, final uh, results have have improved greatly. So those are great examples of how um, the educational experience is enabled by this community of learning. You have students that are getting their families involved. They're bringing in their, their, their personal life experiences uh, involved. And you even see the educator becoming involved. So the, the line between student and teacher becomes blurred as it all kind of blends together into uh, an environment of, of co-learning. There's also reference to the, the performance, right? The grades at the end, the assessment. And I want to tie that in. The fear of failure is the scariest part of a higher education learning environment. Not so much the paper airplanes or the bullying that happens uh, in, in lower schools, in uh, lower school, secondary school, etc., so I think the most important element of creating a safe environment so that all of this great engagement and, and stimulation can happen is to um, make it safe for students to fail. And that's where the assessment uh, map comes into play, how and when you as an educator weave in the assessments to the experience in this case of the business simulation is going to uh, throttle the, the fear of failure. I'm going to read some quotes that kind of hopefully will highlight what I'm trying to say here, which is one, one from Winston Churchill, success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Another one by Abraham Lincoln. Uh, My great concern is not whether you have failed, but whether you are content with your failure. One by Robert T. Kiyosaki, an American entrepreneur, where he says, winners are not afraid of losing, but losers are. Failure is part of the process of success. People who avoid failure also avoid success. And one last one from Janet Finch sorry, Fitch, uh, who is a professor in CBE for social sciences. And she simply states, the phoenix must burn to emerge. The common theme across all of these, and I think uh, the important element of how to regulate uh, the fear of failure through how high or low the stakes of assessment are in this learning environment engaging and stimulating learning environment, the safety of it 
is down to how content or discontent your students are with their own failures, however small or large they are. And to ensure that they don't lose enthusiasm for what they're doing because of the failure. And every teacher will have different tools in their toolkits to facilitate that. The game supports the engagement from all parties. So if there is a member of the team which would normally, would, you know, a student that would normally sit in the background and sort of uh, see the lectures and the workshops and the seminars go past them, uh, actually they get drawn into this by their peers and their peers actually try and force them to become more active and participative to uh, to the game itself. So it's, it, it works in that respect as well. I think it's important that if you're using simulation games that you have to set the scene, you have to explain to the students why you're using the simulation games um, and the benefits that will accrue to the, the students. So it's arguing about the pluses that come from this in the sense of firstly, that students will be able to take their own experiences and apply it to the game. So one of the things, for example, um, in the game that we use, uh, the Phone Ventures, there are hints, ideas about how can you encourage more motivated staff. So you try and encourage the students to think about their own working experiences, employers that they've enjoyed working for, or maybe employers they've not enjoyed working for, because sometimes the most powerful learning comes from your own um, failures, your own problems, and try and relate that to the game. So it's very useful getting the students to think about their experiences and telling them um, not only their own individual experiences, but also hearing the experiences of others will allow them to engage more fully. So it's about making clear to the students the value to be gained from simulation. It's a, it's a, if you like, a safe house in which they can start to replicate some of their own previous experiences and apply them. But it's also about highlighting to the students the knowledge that can be gained from their team members and helping them at that moment in time, but also in their lifelong learning. This is free learning you're getting from your peers. You know, it costs you nothing. Take advantage of your fellow teammates in the nicest possible way, because if you like, um, in life, a lot of it's you scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. And this is a wonderful way of demonstrating it. So that's a really nice uh, way of putting it from Keith, uh, that a safe house to replicate some of the students' own previous experiences and apply them, bringing, the, bringing their own experiences into the community and, and using that to facilitate their own and, and other people's lear learning. <clears throat> One last thing, well, two more things that I want to talk about as we're getting close to the end here is what all this kind of boils down to, the essence of the, the, the careful balancing act of fun versus assessment. How do you make assessment fun? And the foundation of that is creating a safe environment. And what underpins a safe environment is this um, common domain community, and then through practice, building confidence, uh, which contributes towards the, 
the positive effects of, of failure in terms of learning and making all of this fun while doing your due diligence in terms of assessment? Well, some of the uh, uh, things that I've noticed um, was coming away from the uh, classroom style of teaching to uh, the uh, uh, sort of either environment was the fact that students tend to uh, kind of sometimes lose a little bit of focus. Um, so I wanted to ensure that my students were always engaged um, uh, in, in the simulation. And, and to do that, um, I gave them uh, an opportunity of earning extra points during the uh, each week. And so I give them a, a specific task to achieve and I put so many points available to them. With that in mind, uh, I try and stimulate also the creativity. And um, sometimes I get them to do uh, uh, news articles to introduce into the uh, into the uh, business, so that a uh, um, the uh, the um, you know the the other teams can see that there is a new product coming from them. It could be a marketing uh, element. It could be uh, something that. Uh, uh, it could be threatening to the other organizations because they come out with a new uh, a new product uh, for their organization. So that will create the uh, the uh, creativity. I hope you guys will be able to see or place somewhere on this assessment map that I've been talking about in terms of how they are gauging the stakes of from low to high and what they are how they are are uh, where on the summative to formative assessment they are placing the different sort of assessment touch points throughout the game. The University of Sutherland, Sutherland have, uh, they talk about, you'll see the, the reflective account of, of each individual's participation and how the, the ranking, whether they came first, second, or third in the game is, is not assessed per se, but uh, the evaluation of their own performance based on how they're applying the knowledge to the situation and how that changes round by round is and that they have to um they're asked to analyze the changes in their ranking from round to round referencing their own decision making processes behind uh their actions in each round which echoes kind of you know um uh, the more it echoes the traditional methods of assessment the that I talked about at the start with knowledge application analysis and evaluation it's all still there and then uh, you'll also hear from the Glasgow Caledonian University, uh, where they've they kind of they have a split the stakes between a group and individual assessment, similarly, and then placing different weightings on the rankings to increase engagement. But I think it's also throttling that summative, formative, uh, high stakes, low stakes uh, form of assessment. Before I let you guys uh, listen to that and, and, and let you go, I just wanted to also add that the what this is all kind of uh, stressing i think is the how technology is an enabler in the classroom and and it's a tool in the in a teacher's toolkit because the environment the, it has to be it, it will always be changing when we're talking about human beings social animals learning and the teacher as a facilitator creating that environment and assessing the performance of his participants in said environment is something that 
is going to require an adaptive mind. The actual ranking has no relevance to the uh, to the uh, assessment uh, criteria at all. The assessment is based on a reflective account of their participation to the module, their leadership learning, the management style, the decision making, uh, making reference to how they supported the uh, the, the rest of the team in uh, in achieving a a good sort of um, decision-making process, um, how these have created opportunities for their organization, but has no relevance to the actual uh, um, uh, ranking of the, uh, of, the, of the team. I have found that, um, you know, even though I, uh, you know, the students know fair, very well how they are being assessed uh, from week one, uh, it still motivates them to try and achieve more during the uh, uh, during the uh, the game itself. Um, some of the uh, the assessment criteria is try and and through the learning how the uh, the uh, uh, theory can be applied to uh, to practice. So that's what I want to see in the uh, in the assessment when uh, the uh, the. They pre, uh, they're preparing the uh, final assessment for the module, and and I can see how they are very uh, they become very precise on the uh, on the application of the uh, of the theory uh, when they actually have to explain how they created that decision, what model of decision making they've used to 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 achieve that final decision for the uh, for the team. So that is very useful and very creative from their point of view as well. Over to you. Okay. Um, we do um, give a small weighting. We made a conscious decision at the very beginning to award a certain amount of marks to the team's performance in the ranking. We felt that that would help to keep the teams engaged right through to the end. And we certainly find that um, even if we didn't put the uh, weighting in, as part of the assessment, we, the best students would still be very competitive. We, we do find a high degree of um, competitiveness coming out in many teams. We use two assessments. We have a team assessment worth 50% and we have an individual assessment worth 50%. Of the team assessment, 15% of that relates to uh, the ranking performance. Um, we find that that, as I said, helps to keep the students engaged. Um, but we also find there's some kind of humorous um, competitiveness that's coming through. So we, we hear students you know, trying to bribe and blackmail their friends to give them information about what their teams are doing. Um, there was one um, student a couple of years ago who told me that that used to be one of their big conversations with his girlfriend because she was in another team trying to pump her for information uh, what their team was doing because their team was consistently beating his team um, and he suspected that she was giving him tough information. So it, in a way, it was kind of humorous, but I suppose it relates to some of the practices that grow on in the real world. You know, we do use our relationships to try and find out what activities our competitors are doing and sometimes our competitors are very honest and tell us the truth and sometimes our competitors feed us false information so we certainly found that um, having the team element um, and an individual element as a, the assessment has been very conducive to the learning because the team element encourages 
shared knowledge, but the individual element allows the student to reflect on the strategy that the team has pursued, on the team's creation, and on their own individual development as a learner. And I think that's important. You know, if we go back to this idea of experiential learning, it's not simply getting people to relate their experiences and how they relate to the knowledge the tutor or the lecturer is giving them, but it's reflecting on what it really means to them and whether it's good or bad or relevant knowledge to the individual student. So I think this the, the assessment makes that we have worked on um, has allowed marks to be driven higher. Intriguingly, uh, and it maybe echoes something that Alex said a few minutes ago, we can statistically show that having used um, simulation games, that we have on average lifted marks about one mark a year for the last three, sorry, four years. So in itself, it doesn't sound very much going from say a 55 to 56, but cumulatively we have can now statistically show that over the period of the last four years, um, the students who historically were getting 55 are now getting 60 on their team report. And that's important to students because no matter how much we stress the importance of learning to students who are 18, 20, 25, 30, whatever, students are also driven by what is ultimately their classification grades or their overall average. And this is important to demonstrate to students one of the advantages of a simulation game is it does seem to lead to better results. As I said earlier, if we're expecting our students to be lifelong learners with what we're trying to teach them, if we're trying to take advantage of the experience that people have throughout their lives, which we are all lifelong learners, then as practitioners, as educators, we have to practice what we are preaching. We, we ourselves have to be lifelong learners and we ourselves have to adapt to our teaching environments as teachers. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and uh, see you next time when I'll be talking about gamification of courses and uh, modularization versus cross-curricular and cross-modular education. See you soon. Bye-bye. If you'd like to learn more about Edubundo products and services, visit our website at edubundo.com. Follow us on LinkedIn or check out our YouTube channel. Check the footnotes in this podcast for links to resources as well as how to get in touch. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and be sure to check back soon for the next episode.